You know, we had a local official come, invited by someone not from our church to come visit us once, not, uh, months and months ago. And their response was, why are you so ecstatic about the cross, about Christ? He, he just couldn't understand it. We get it, don't we? God is awesome, you guys. He is awesome. His love for us, his power for us. And that song was such a great example of it. And I'll tell you, I wonder why aren't people more ecstatic about the love of God? They just don't see. We need to have eyes to see the glory of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. And when we do, we will be changed and we will be more real than those that don't. We have more clarity, more reality than those who don't see Christ like that. That's not the sermon. Good morning, American Fork. Everybody say good morning, American Fork. Hi, guys. We're excited about next week with Kelly and Amy. All right. So I had an interesting week. Uh, You might have seen on Facebook, I... I had to go for some serious tests. One of them required going in through my arm and all the way to my heart again. And uh, they all came out great, which is awesome. Yay! Then I was sitting on the bench waiting for the car to show up, and I passed out. (laughs) So Cynthia rushed me into emergency right next door, and she said, he just had an angiogram, and now he's passing out. And so I was thrown right away into trauma too, and I had... 12 sets of hands on me for two hours trying to figure out what was wrong. It was like a TV show. I always wanted to be on TV. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm just excited to be here. This message is an important message on my heart. I think it's an important message on God's heart today. And um, it's, it's about the kingdom key of oneness we're talking about the same scripture Jody talked about last week. It's about marriage. I had a few single people tell me they weren't that excited about hearing about marriage again. I totally get it. I totally get it. But I want to encourage you, do not check out. If you are not married, this is not just for married people. It relates to married people, but the concept of oneness is the concept of what Jesus Christ did on the cross He set us free from sin so we could be in relationship, covenant relationship with him for all eternity. And that is fantastic. It's something to stay tuned in for. Okay? So singles, raise your hand. Do you agree? You swear? Okay. (laughs) All right. So um, let's go to the scripture then. It's in Ephesians 5. And uh, let's read it together. We're not very good at this usually, but we're, gonna, we're getting better. So that's good. This is the NIV translation. It's different. So it's a little, a little, a little harder than Jody's translation. Hers is uh, simpler, I think. So uh, let's read it together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself 
as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Give yourself a hand. That was good. Lord, right now, we just want to be open to what you have for us. The reality is, is the world screams something very different than what I'm about to say. This kingdom principle of oneness is exactly the opposite in this world. And so we live in an aquarium, a place where we, we think the world's way is normal. We experience every day in the media, in politics, in relationships. We experience the world's way. But God, you have something very significant for us. And I just want to encourage you to be open to hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. Are you open to the Lord today? Tell him right now, I am open to you, Lord, to speak to me, to guide me and direct me, to change my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, first we're going to talk about mutual submission is an essential ingredient for oneness. This is key, you guys. Submitting to someone in the world, it means that we're making ourselves subordinate to an authority of a higher power. So we're talking about power. We're talking about subordination. We're talking about authority. Examples of this would be like, like a lieutenant and a, and a private on the battlefield, let's say in the Middle East. And here they are in a battlefield, and, and they're dealing with, uh, they're dealing with, you know, taking back, um, what's that country we're taking back that Gary Johnson didn't remember the name of the city? Aleppo. What? what? Aleppo. Aleppo. <laughs> so we're taking back Aleppo, and here's a here's a here's a captain, and here's a here's a a private, and they're they're both talking like like there's no authority whatsoever. It's like okay. Soldier, I want you to go, and I want you to take this place, get your platoon, and go for it. And the soldier says, oh, wait a minute. This looks uh, a little dangerous. I, I think maybe we should wait. Why don't we think about doing this another time? I really had a bad day today. And, and that is when a breakdown in authority happens. And you know what? We're going to lose the war, right? Yes? Yeah. Another good example would be like with taxes. All right? So how many love taxes? Raise your hand. Nobody. Oh, one person. You don't pay taxes. (laughs) So here's the tax collector, right? And here here am I. And, and, you know, there's Rob. He's the tax collector. And and he's telling me, hey, you owe $2,000. And I said, oh, gee, Rob, uh, you know, I know that's what you're saying. But, you know, personally, I think from my point of view that I really had a bad year this year, and I'm really not doing well. I spent too much money, and I think 
I should probably pay 50 bucks. Well, that's not going to work for our country, is it? Is it? We're going to have no money paid, and I'm not talking about Donald Trump and his taxes. I'm not. I'm not even going to politics. But it's true. We'd have no money for anything if we all had input into it. Come on. Right? If you were able to decide with somebody like, like they weren't an authority figure, you can, you'd probably negotiate down, wouldn't you? Rob would. I know that. He's a good negotiator. He's going to re- negotiate down. It's going to be like 50 cents by the end. <laughs> I'll give you a stick of gum. How about that for all my taxes? We can't live like that. But that is what the world faces. We have a hierarchy. If we didn't, the world would fall apart. This is the world system. And the weight of hierarchy and power fall upon the powers of this world, the systems of this world. But that is not what God is speaking about here. So we have to look at what God is speaking about here and realize that we have a new way to live. And that is this one thing. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to mention a few quotes from a guy named Gilbert Belzecian, a rough name to pronounce, let me tell you. I stressed over it and practiced it several times, but he has some good things on the topic in in a book that he wrote about, about this scripture. And he said, by definition, mutual submission rules out hierarchical differences. Now, doesn't that make sense? I mean, if you have mutual submission... How can you now have someone say, now, okay, we're mutually submitted, handshake, but now I'm going to be over you, right? That doesn't work, does it? Now we're not mutually submitted anymore. This is mutual submission. This is somebody over you. Oh, yeah, I love you, and, and you're my spouse, or you know, you're, you're someone in the body of Christ because this relates to the body of Christ. The reason why this scripture is right where it's at is because, and this is backtracking a little, The section before that Chase covered was all about life, general life in Christ and how at the end of it is this great exclamation point, be submitted to one another. All of this stuff leads to be submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. And now smack dab in the middle of chapter five of Ephesians, we see that now God is talking about some very specific relationships, general relationships before, now specific relationships. Now we're talking about marriage. We're going to talk about kids soon. We're going to move on and go into chapter six. So we're talking about some specific relationships and how we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Gilbert said this, being subject to one another is different relationship from being subject to another. Did you catch the difference? Being subject to one another, submitted to one another, is different than being subject to another. We live in a society, it is a gigantic aquarium. We are all wet with it. Everything we think about, all of our perspectives on it are all in this direction that we are to be subjected or subject someone. Yes, that's the way it is. But that is not God's plan. God's plan for the kingdom, the kingdom principle of oneness is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this, how do we do this? 
It says in, in, in 518, right before this, it says, be filled with the Spirit. If you want to know how you can submit one to another in reverence to Christ, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with His grace, His power, His presence. Because then you will have no need to subject or be subjected. Pastor Eric was a great example of this to us. He talked all the time about that we will never be a pastor-centered church that we will not be focused on the one person that's the lead guy that's right here that talks and wondering, oh, pastor, what do you think? What are you doing? We're not like that. Sometimes when people come to our church, they're a little confused because they, they're wondering, like, what's your vision? What do you want us to do for you? And we kind of look at them and we say, our vision is you. It's you. Our vision is to serve you and lift you up and to... Have dream become a reality in your life. That's our vision. That's mutual submission. We're not, we're not looking as, as, as people that have leadership gifts to be served and to, and to have people accomplish the things that are, that are on our minds and hearts. We are looking and we are asking you as a congregation to realize that you are owners you are owners as much as we are. And we are saying, take your ownership position and we will support you and serve you and help you to become all that God has called you to be in the context of releasing you in the dream that God has for you. That's what we're about. That's what this church is. Gilbert said this, although they may continue to exist, these distinctions of rank and hierarchy, they become insignificant as they are transcended by the higher principle of mutual submission. We have this in our society, don't we? We, we have it. But within the context of church, there is no hierarchy. You will never find an org chart in our church that says, this person is under this person, is under this person, is under this person. We do not perceive the kingdom of God to be like that. That is the world's way of organizing an organization. We are an organism. We are the body of Christ. And so we don't have people lording things over us, as the scripture says. We, we are there to serve as servant leaders, and we'll get to that in just a minute. The next point is mutual submission. How does that get expressed in marriage? Well, I want to tell you a little about my history. You know, I, I grew up, some of you know this, in a, in a Jewish home. I was the first male grandchild on both sides of the family, and I was the king. I was the undisputed king. I was crowned king every single day. And I, everybody did what I asked them to do at, from an early age. I was very shocked to find out when I grew up that people didn't do what I told them to do. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you how bad it is. So I was a kid and they built a stage in, in my basement. My family did because they knew I liked to act and we all did all kinds of crazy things down there. And so every Sunday my family would come over, grandparents, uncles, aunts, all those people, cousins. We'd all have dinner together and then I'd say, okay, it's time for a show. And everyone would go down the basement and if they did not go down with reverence and honor and, and, and seriousness, I sent them all back up to do it over again. <laughs> I was sick. <laughs> I was. 
I was. So here I am. This is the king, right? And now let's fast forward a lot of years and I'm engaged. I'm engaged to this great lady, Cynthia. And, and we're sitting at the Century 23 Theater on Winchester Boulevard in San Jose, California. How many of you know that? Yay! This great old theater. I have a lot of good memories there of watching fun movies like E.T. and Star Wars and everything. And we're sitting there waiting for a movie. And I'm just going off on all these opinions that I have about things, about our wedding and this and that. And she's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Not, not in, a, in a disrespectful way or a, a, I don't know. It, not in a weird way, but she was, she was just agreeing with me, right? And, and then, then I started, uh, what did I do? I forgot. I, I, started, I started talking about plans. What? Her hair. Oh, thank you. <laughs> hey, I had a rough week, all right? <laughs> Is that you, Kool-Aid? Thank you so much. What a great friend. So, then I started talking about her hair, and I said her hair looked really good down. And, and she looked at me and said, what? What do you mean? You like my hair down? I thought you wanted me to have my hair up all the time. And she doesn't know this happened at the time, but this happened between me and God. And right then and there, God told the king, look, dude, do you want a subordinate or do you want a partner? And it started, it, it took a while to change. I'm st- sure I'm still changing in this. But there is, right then and there at Century 23 Theater, something happened in my soul where I realized that it is a sick thought to think that I would marry someone and have them be my underling and just do the things that I asked them to do. All my whims and ideas. Oh, yes, honey. And she, she wasn't a yes person, but, but she was being affected by my behavior, right? And it was terrible. It was sickening. And it was so opposite of what God has called us to in covenant oneness in the kingdom of God. And so right then and there, I started changing. Mutual submission in marriage takes away hierarchy as well. When we are mutually submitted to one another, then there is no Okay, I'll handshake with you, but now I make the decision. There's none of that. And I, I hate to say this, but I know there's a lot of that that goes on. There just is, because we don't understand this. And I don't want anyone to feel condemned, like I'm, I'm on your case about this. I truly believe that what I'm sharing with you today is something that can change your life. It changed my life, and it's changing my life still. So I just want to encourage you to be open to hear what I have to say on this. So mutual ex- uh, submission ex- expressed in marriage. You know, there, this scripture that we're looking at here in, in these verses, it talks about, um, talks about um, God being the, uh, the head over man and man being the head over woman. And Jody talked a lot about this really well last week, but because it's here and because... It is so obviously um, confusing to everyone uh, who reads it at first glance. I just want to say this again, that that word head is very different back then when it was written. And I'll prove it to you by showing you the context of what Paul is talking about here. When Paul is talking about Christ being the head over man, 
He is talking about something very specific. He is talking about Christ the Savior, verse 24. The Savior. That doesn't sound like he's the leader right there, does it? He's the Savior. He has died. He's the suffering servant. He has gotten as low as he could go. He is on his knees washing the feet of the disciples. The Savior who died on the cross took everything upon himself, every sin. That is not someone who's like, I'm in charge, is it? Okay, let's look at the next part of the scripture. Right there where it talks about head, it says, Christ gave himself up for the church, verse 25. What is the context of headship here is suffering servant, is fountainhead of life and love. And the last part is caring for her, verse 29. Never once here is Christ called the hierarchical leader of the church. I have many times mistakenly thought that this scripture was talking about hierarchical leadership, and it is not. It is talking about suffering servant leadership. I will take my death and I will die for you because I love you. That's what he's talking about. That's what headship is. Where in the New Testament is the head the leader of the body? You look it up. You'll see we're talking about the soul. We're talking about the heart. I don't know of any instance where in the New Testament the head is the leader, the hierarchical leader. No. So we're talking about something very different here. We have to grasp this because we have a gigantic aquarium that is saying something very, very, very different in the news, in our relationships, at work, very different. What do you do when the creator of the universe did what he did for us? He became the suffering servant He died for us on the cross. He became the lowest of the low for our sake. When you realize that, what do you do? You surrender. You surrender in love. If you want to know what submission is, it doesn't start with submission. It starts with a leader who adores you and lays down his life for you. And then you willingly just Lord, I will serve you. I will love you. I will support you. I will go with you. I will be with you. Isn't that the way it is? If you know the Lord, you know that's true. If you don't know the Lord or if you're involved in a religious situation, it's all based on rules that you follow rules. But with Christ, submission is based on love. I will die for you. And then out of that, we are compelled to love, Paul says. Compelled to love. Not by some outside source, but by the love itself. This great love that God gives us. We are compelled by that love. Motivated by it to surrender ourselves. Surrender our agendas. And give our lives over. Do you see the difference? Yes? Okay. Next is a biblical view on oneness. So if we look at this scripture in 
uh, verses 28 through 33, we see some things that are, that are really very specific about oneness. We see that, first of all, that, uh, that we should love our wives as our own bodies. This is a very profound difference than two people deciding to make a home together and have kids together. And I mean, these are together things, right? But when we're talking about at this very core, we're talking about that we should love our spouse and we should, we should use that word spouse here too because we are all called to this. Love our spouse as our own bodies. Certainly, I have heard dozens and dozens of times where people have used their bodies against their spouse in so many different ways. I just got R-rated here. (laughs) Sorry, Jody. I promised I wasn't going to be R-rated. But just in withholding or an abusive behavior or in control, that is just wrong. It is against God's heart for oneness. Love your wives, your husbands as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. If if you think that you could put down your wife in your own mind or to someone else or complain about them to God or to, to anybody and you think you're doing a service, no, you're totally blowing it in your own life because you're not loving yourself. If you want to know how to be blessed in your life, it's a good idea to love yourself and loving yourself is loving your spouse. Loving people in the kingdom. It's the same thing. It's the reason why no gossip is the, is the rule of order around this church. is because we, we want to do that. We want to love each other as we love ourselves. Amen? I hope you're seeing that this is not just related to marriage, but it's a very specific example of marriage that he's using here. You don't hate your, your own body, but you care for it. What would happen if you just decided, I am not going to care. I'm not going to make sure my needs are met at all. I am going to just meet the needs of my spouse. What do you think would happen? You think something profound would happen? I do. I already know that because we've, we've tried this. We don't have it all the time, but we've tried it and we see what happens. It's pretty, pretty wonderful. To have someone else give you what you need and to provide for someone else in this way and not having to worry about your needs? Is this not one of the biggest issues in marriage? Is my needs are not being met? If you want your needs to be met, start with, I'm not saying the other person doesn't need to change, but start with focusing on meeting their needs and see what happens. And you will see a change. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. The mystery here is that God is speaking in covenantal terms to us about oneness. This is not just we signed a paper and now we're married. It is so much more profound than that. We are united together as one. Not one over another. Not, okay, handshake, now I'll take my place as the leader. None of that. 
We are united together. This is the joy of life. The joy of marriage is going through life together and letting the gifts operate. Now, I'll tell you right now, you know, in our home, I do a lot of the cooking because I'm gifted in it and I love to do it and it's an act of service, but it's also a blessing for me because it's an expression of my gifts. Cynthia is very gifted with finances and she does a great job keeping us in line. I'm so thankful for that. And so she does that. Our relationship, there's a word that's used that's called egalitarian. We are doing things based on our gifts. Is that not crazy to do things that are based on some more, some social expectation when that person is not good at it? Have you ever tried that? Are you doing it now? You might be. But let me tell you, it is so much more profound. It is so much more the body of Christ. If you look at Ephesians 4, where the body of Christ builds itself up, each part doing its work so that the body can be matured, this is an expression of that. My wife should do the things that she is gifted in. And I shouldn't if I'm not gifted in them. And I should do the things that I'm gifted in. And when that happens, two are better than one. It's awesome. It is awesome. All right. Now I lost track of where I am. All right. Four types of submission that destroy oneness. Is that a good spot, video? We'll do that. So you say, oh, I submit. Now, the issue about submission is that it really is, it has to be done as unto the Lord because of the Lord's lordship, because of the incredible um, release, the incredible um, just giving up of yourself that happens when you experience the grace and the profound love and salvation that's found in Christ Jesus. That is a type of submission that's important. There are four types. This is Gilbert's stuff too, and I really like it. It, The first type is calculating. There's a calculating type of submission, one that gains advantage through ingratiation. That's a good word. I would never use it, but he did. Ingratiation. In other words, here's an example. I will agree now so I can get what I want later. People do this. I've done it. This is not submission. This is not oneness. This is something else. I'll tell you what it is later. The next is self-depreciation. Self-depreciation in submission is a surrender of self-esteem by the powerless and the oppressed. Do you feel like that? Here's an example. My spouse has the power and the ability to do what, I, what needs to be done, so I should just agree with them. I should just agree to it. That's not submission. That's something else. The next is conciliation. Like appeasing your spouse or appeasing a person in your life that you're mutually submitted in in the body of Christ as well. Just appeasing them. Appeasing is, an example would be, I don't want stress in our relationship, so I'll just agree. I'll just agree. That happens, right? I think we've all seen that happen. But that's not submission. The last is resignation. It is a reluctant bowing to power due to the raised fist. And I'm, you know, sometimes it's a real raised fist, but it's really the, the use of emotional power, verbal power against the other person. 
And the example of this is I'm afraid of my spouse's response, so I have to just agree there's nothing else I can do. That also is not submission. This is not relationship. This is non-relationship. Can you see that? This breaks love. This breaks intimacy. This breaks relationship because the two aren't mutually submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are now just, just giving in out of fear, giving in out of hopelessness, giving in out of not feeling good enough about ourselves like we're not a real person, like we don't, we're not, we don't have value. Giving in so we get our way in another thing. It's so impersonal, that's sick. I'm sorry to say that, but it's, it is. It, it brings sickness into the relationship. You know, a kingdom principle, if you want to look at a kingdom principle, you could, you could see what the reverse is in the world. So, so the world's principle is, I will will you and bring you into submission. I will use my will to bring you in, into submission. The kingdom principle is to sacrifice releases love that causes someone to irresistibly surrender. Such a difference, isn't it? Such a difference. The origin of kingdom keys of oneness. We have to go here because Paul went here in the scripture. So we have to go to Genesis. We also have to go to Genesis because Jesus went to Genesis to talk about marriage. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Genesis is key. It gives us grounding principles for understanding the covenant of oneness Mutual submission and loving one another. So in Genesis one twenty six, it starts like this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, listen to what he said, be fruitful and increase in number, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Did he say it just to Adam? No. He said that to both of them. The king and queen of the kingdom of God were to rule together, hand in hand, not given different subordinate responsibilities, but to do it together. Here is the great mandate about what this, how this world is supposed to run. This is the perfect time for God to say, Eve, you just follow this guy. He has the brains. He has the ability. You just follow him. You just do what he says. But he didn't say that. He said, do this together in this beautiful act of covenantal love and submission to one another. The second account details of creation that are, that are in chapter 2. It details out a little more, and so it's important to look at this part too. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. A lot of people take this word, and they think, Okay, that's my personal assistant that God supplied for me. That's not the case. 
I'll just go straight to the point. The Holy Spirit is called our helper, our paraclete, by Jesus Christ himself. That word helper has nothing to do with this is now your personal assistant who is there to accomplish your agenda. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. And this word is used of God several times throughout the Old and New Testament. So Eve is not our helper in the sense that she is our personal assistant below us and so that we can you know, tell them what to do, husbands, just like our wives aren't either. Genesis 2.20 through 25. So now, now we talk about this actual, this is the first marriage. It happens right here, right? So uh, men was looking through all the livestock and trying to find someone that would be the perfect fit for him, this mutual submission, this oneness with him, and he found zip, right? I wouldn't want to be mutually submitted to and in relationship with a zebra. Just doesn't work, right? Zebra has not much to give me. I have not much to give a zebra. Although I do like wearing stripes. So here we are. He's naming, he's finding nobody. And then, and then in verse 22, it says, Then the Lord God made woman from the rib that he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Can you get the picture? Even back then, it is very clear we're talking about an equal equality, a mutual submission, a love and servant leadership on both parts to one another that is very powerful. Here, the bone is taken out of Adam and now the marriage happens. Eve is created and now they come together as one flesh. One flesh. How wonderful that is. And she is called woman. That means man Mankind with a womb. Not man with a womb. Mankind with a womb. So here we are. Woman is served by man and the life spring of man by providing that rib and she is created. And now for the rest of history, man is served by woman by being born out of her womb. And again, inequality. A unity, a oneness that is so profound and is so far from what we see in this world and even in the church many times. This is called covenantial love when two become one. Not some little agreement on a paper, not some decision, okay, let's live together and okay, we can formalize it with a thing. That has nothing to do with it. The kingdom principle of oneness is so much more profound, so much more wonderful. And we see it in our relationship with the Lord. So now, in Genesis 3.16, 
It's after the fall. And we hear the pronouncement of the fall. The first is, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, with painful labor that you will give birth to children. Uh, That doesn't happen, does it? Sure it does. And so does the second part. The second part is, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this is not talking about, oh, I love my husband. That's not what it's talking about at all. That scripture, that word desire there, has to do with usurping power. The power struggle that we experience today started back then with the curse. And both parties were involved and are today. Both parties have to deal with this and have to deal with this issue. So let's look at the culmination. The culmination of all of this happens in the, in the book of Revelation. You see, this is a holistic thing. God just didn't write this book and that's about this or this book about that. This is an entire book miraculously written, preserved, and, and breathed out of the mouth of God for, for thousands of years so that we can understand his heart. If we look back at Revelation, I mean, look back at Genesis, all the way to Revelation, we see the consummation of this. And that is in Revelation 19, 7 through 9. It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. If you don't think that this is God's intention from day one, then you haven't read the Bible. This is God's heart. This incredible marriage that would take place in the book of Revelation Jody's going to talk a lot about this next week, but we have to bring it up because this is the context of covenantal love, of oneness, of being one in each other. So I want to talk for just a little about um, practical thoughts on, on covenantal oneness. First of all, when, when things don't go right, um, it's very painful in this area. And don't you think that makes a lot of sense? If this is God's eternal purpose, if oneness with us is God's eternal purpose, don't you think that when it breaks at whatever level, it's going to be painful? So whether it's in marriage, whether it's in relationship in the body of Christ or in the family, it is very, very painful. And doesn't it make sense that the forces that hate us in this world the devil and all of his forces and all of this world system would use everything in its power to speak to us and to drag us to this lie that brings death and destruction instead of life and blessing. Everything is focused on this. Marriage is not about position. It's about covenant oneness. Everybody needs to have a Century 23 experience. So you don't have to go to the theater. You can have it here. But you, you need to get to God about this because we are all affected by this at some level or another. We are all affected by this lie that we live in and breathe every day. 
about power and authority instead of mutual submission. And so I encourage you to do that with the Lord. Let him talk to you. You know what? You are the worst person to judge your heart. That's why David said in Psalm 139, seek my thoughts, show me my my anxious ways. You need God to speak to you about this. So I encourage you to go to God and let him speak to you about it. You know what? You are on the same team. I can't tell you how many times I have people come to my office for counseling and there's two teams and, and they're both working to get enough points to win. Every point that person racks up is really a point against themselves because he who hates his body hates himself. Isn't that what it said? We are on the same team. You should be rooting for your team. What part of your team do you need to root for? What aspect of your team? Cheering them on, encouraging them, praying for them, loving them, forgiving them. That's what a team does. We're a team. When one is not doing well, both are not doing well. We just don't realize it. We walk, we walk around and we think, well, I'm doing well. That person, you know, my spouse, man, they're, they're a mess. They're a mess. Well, guess what? Then you are too. You don't realize it. You're just deceived. I'm just sorry to say it. I've seen so many people come to my office and they are shocked at what they're experienced, experiencing as far as conflict in their relationship. It's like, what? Where did this come from? It's, yeah, you, were, you had your head. I, I'm great at this. I, I love to stick my head in the sand like an ostrich. you know. But I, I just found out it's too painful to do it anymore because you ignore all these things that just get bigger and bigger and harder and harder. So don't get deceived. Realize that when someone else is not doing well, it's really you that's not doing well. And again, oneness is not two people doing things together all the time. It's a mindset, a way of thinking, a way of viewing life together. It is a spiritual state. And I would encourage you to to cultivate that at that level. Not at the level of just getting through the day, but of being one with one another. You need to know that differences are positive. All right? Differences are really positive. You know, how I remember thinking I, I, back then, you know, at Century 23, uh, God said, do you want to be married to yourself? It's like, do I want that same person to be there? Oh, yeah, I agree, Ira. Yes, Ira, I agree. Oh, yeah, you're just wonderful. Yes, Ira, you're incredible. Who wants that? There's no satisfaction in that. So I just encouraged you to, to really seek the Lord in this. Know that the differences are a good thing. I remember, you know, Cynthia is a woman of grace and mercy. And uh, she, uh, we'll, we'll hang out together with people and then we will spend an hour saying goodbye. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. See ya! I'm in the car already, and she is on her first goodbye out of 12. (laughs) And I started complaining to God about it. And God said, you have a lot to learn about this. 
And I realized that the differences that we have are amazing. And I've grown so much in this. You can ask her. (laughs) Don't take my word for it. But I've grown because of her behavior. Because she was different. You are purposely different than your spouse. Iron sharpens iron. Two are better than one. So don't ask why is your spouse more like you? Why they don't agree with you? Because just look at yourself and recognize that God has something for you in that. Amen? Let's stand up. Oh, actually, you know what? Let's just stay seated. And I think, sorry. We have a baptism today, so we're going we're gonna to go into that in a minute. Why don't we have those guys come on, come on up? Um, what does it mean to be mutually submitted? You have to be all in. Marriage is not about 50-50. It never was. California has it wrong. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. All in. All in. Nothing held back. Just like you would do in your relationship with the Lord. Your spouse isn't God, but it's the same covenantal concept that you must apply to your spouse. So this is what Jesus said. Matthew 19. Jesus was confronted by Pharisees that wanted to trip him up and so he brought they brought up the subject of divorce and this is jesus response again going back to genesis he says haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what god has joined together let no man separate I'm not talking about only divorce. You could be separate in your thinking. You could be separate in your money. You could be separate in using your time. You could be separate in all kinds of ways. Jesus said, let no man separate. No man separate. So we're going to pray and then we're going to do the baptism. And those that would like prayer, we're going to have the, um, the team up here to, to pray as well. So let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we just ask right now that you would just speak to people in their relationships. Let this not be a condemning word. Let it be a word of freedom, that they have found a new way, a new route, one that is not found in death in the world, but one that's found in life in the keys of your kingdom. We ask, God, that you would heal our marriages, heal all of our relationships in the church. Lord, I pray that forgiveness would be the order of the day for we need to forgive. We give this to you in Jesus' name.